Section 24 of In the Midst of Life, Tales of Soldiers and Civilians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. In the Midst of Life, Tales of Soldiers and Civilians by Ambrose Bierce. Section 24. The Applicant. Pushing his adventurous shins through the deep snow that had fallen overnight, and encouraged by the glee of his little sister, following in the open way that he made, a sturdy small boy, the son of Grayville's most distinguished citizen, struck his foot against something of which there was no visible sign on the surface of the snow. It is the purpose of this narrative to explain how it came to be there. No one who has had the advantage of passing through Grayville by day can have failed to observe the large stone building crowning the low hill to the north of the railway station, that is to say, to the right in going toward Great Mowbray. It is a somewhat dull-looking edifice of the early comatose order, and appears to have been designed by an architect who shrank from publicity and although unable to conceal his work, even compelled in this instance to set it on an eminence in the sight of men, did what he honestly could to ensure it against a second look. So far as concerns its outer and visible aspect, the Abersush home for old men is unquestionably inhospitable to human attention, but it is a building of great magnitude and costs its benevolent founder the profit of many a cargo of the teas and silks and spices that his ships brought up from the underworld when he was in trade in Boston, though the main expense was its endowment. Altogether this reckless person had robbed his heirs-at-law of no less a sum than half a million dollars, and flung it away in riotous giving. Possibly it was with a view to get out of sight of the silent big witness to his extravagance that he shortly afterward disposed of all his Grayville property that remained to him, turned his back upon the scene of his prodigality, and went off across the sea in one of his own ships. But the gossips who got their inspiration most directly from heaven declared that he went in search of a wife a theory not easily reconciled with that of the village humorist, who solemnly averred that the bachelor philanthropist had departed this life, left Grayville, to wit, because the marriageable maidens had made it too hot to hold him. However this may have been, he had not returned, and although at long intervals there had come to Grayville in a desultory way, vague rumors of his wanderings in strange lands, no one seemed certainly to know about him, and to the new generation he was no more than a name. But from above the portal of the home for old men the name shouted in stone. Despite its unpromising exterior, the home is a fairly commodious place of retreat from the ills that its inmates have incurred by being poor and old and men. At the time embraced in this brief chronicle, they were in number about a score, but in acerbity, 
querulousness, and general ingratitude, they could hardly be reckoned at fewer than a hundred. At least that was the estimate of the superintendent, Mr. Silas Tilbody. It was Mr. Tilbody's steadfast conviction that always, in admitting new old men to replace those who had gone to another and a better home, the trustees had distinctly in will the infraction of his peace and the trial of his patience. In truth, the longer the institution was connected with him, the stronger was his feeling that the founder's scheme of benevolence was sadly impaired by providing any inmates at all. He had not much imagination, but with what he had he was addicted to the reconstruction of the home for old men into a kind of castle in Spain, with himself as castellan, hospitably entertaining about a score of sleek and prosperous middle-aged gentlemen, consummately good-humoured, and civilly willing to pay for their board and lodging. In this revised project of philanthropy, the trustees, to whom he was indebted for his office and responsible for his conduct, had not the happiness to appear. As to them, it was held by the village humorist aforementioned that in their management of the great charity, Providence had thoughtfully supplied an incentive to thrift. With the inference which he expected to be drawn from that view, we have nothing to do. It had neither support nor denial from the inmates, who certainly were most concerned. They lived out their little remnant of life, crept into graves neatly numbered, and were succeeded by other old men as like them as could be desired by the adversary of peace. If the home was a place of punishment for the sin of unthrift, the veteran offenders sought justice with a persistence that attested the sincerity of their penitence. It is to one of these that the reader's attention is now invited. In the matter of attire, this person was not altogether engaging. But for this season, which was midwinter, a careless observer might have looked upon him as a clever device of the husbandman indisposed to share the fruits of his toil with the crows that toil not, neither spin, an error that might not have been dispelled without longer and closer observation than he seemed to court for his progress up Abersus Street, toward the home in the gloom of the winter evening, was not visibly faster than what might have been expected of a scarecrow blessed with youth, health, and discontent. The man was indisputably ill-clad, yet not without a certain fitness and good taste withal, for he was obviously an applicant for admittance to the home, where poverty was a qualification. In the army of indigence the uniform is rags. They serve to distinguish the rank and file from the recruiting officers. As the old man, entering the gate of the grounds, shuffled up the broad walk, already white with the fast-falling snow, which from time to time he feebly shook from its various coins of vantage on his person, he came under inspection of the large globe lamp that burned always by night over the great door of the building. 
as if unwilling to incur its revealing beams he turned to the left and passing a considerable distance along the face of the building rang at a smaller door emitting a dimmer ray that came from within through the fanlight and expended itself incuriously overhead the door was opened by no less a personage than the great mr tilbody himself observing his visitor who at once uncovered and somewhat shortened the radius of the permanent curvature of his back the great man gave visible token of neither surprise nor displeasure mr tilbody was indeed in an uncommonly good humour a phenomenon ascribable doubtless to the cheerful influence of the season for this was christmas eve and the morrow would be that blessed three hundred and sixty-fifth part of the year that all christian souls set apart for mighty feats of goodness and joy mr tilbody was so full of the spirit of the season that his fat face and pale blue eyes whose ineffectual fire served to distinguish it from an untimely summer squash effused so genial a glow that it seemed a pity that he could not have lain down in it basking in the consciousness of his own identity he was hatted booted overcoated and umbrellaed as became a person who was about to expose himself to the night and the storm on an errand of charity for mr tilbody had just parted from his wife and children to go downtown and purchase the wherewithal to confirm the annual falsehood about the hunch-bellied saint who frequents the chimneys to reward little boys and girls who are good and especially truthful so he did not invite the old man in but saluted him cheerily hello just in time a moment later and you would have missed me come i have no time to waste we'll walk a little way together uh, thank you said the old man upon whose thin and white but not ignoble face the light from the open door showed an expression that was perhaps disappointment but if the trustees if, if my application the trustees mr tilbody said closing more doors than one and cutting off two kinds of light have agreed that your application disagrees with them certain sentiments are inappropriate to christmas tide but humor like death has all seasons for his own oh my god cried the old man in so thin and husky a tone that the invocation was anything but impressive and to at least one of his two auditors sounded indeed somewhat ludicrous to the other but that is a matter which laymen are devoid of the light to expound yes continued mr tilbody accommodating his gait to that of his companion who was mechanically and not very successfully retracing the track that he had made through the snow they have decided that under the circumstances under the very peculiar circumstances you understand it would be inexpedient to admit you as superintendent and ex officio secretary of the honorable board 
as Mr. Tilbody read his title clear, the magnitude of the big building, seen through its veil of falling snow, appeared to suffer somewhat in comparison. It is my duty to inform you that, in the words of Deacon Byram, the chairman, your presence in the home would, under the circumstances, be peculiarly embarrassing. I felt it my duty to submit to the Honorable Board the statement that you made to me yesterday of your needs, your physical condition, and the trials which it has pleased Providence to send upon you in your very proper effort to present your claims in person. But after careful, and I may say prayerful, consideration of your case, with something too, I trust, of the large charitableness appropriate to the season, it was decided that we would not be justified in doing anything likely to impair the usefulness of the institution entrusted under Providence to our care. They now passed out of the grounds. The street lamp opposite the gate was dimly visible through the snow. Already the old man's former track was obliterated, and he seemed uncertain as to which way he should go. Mr. Tilbody had drawn a little away from him, but paused and turned half toward him, apparently reluctant to forego the continuing opportunity. Under the circumstances, he resumed, the decision— But the old man was inaccessible to the suasion of his verbosity. He had crossed the street into a vacant lot, and was going forward, rather deviously toward nowhere in particular, which, he having nowhere in particular to go to, was not so reasonless a proceeding as it looked. And that is how it happened that the next morning, when the church bells of all Gravel were ringing with an added unction appropriate to the day, the sturdy little son of Deacon Byram, breaking away through the snow to the place of worship, struck his foot against the body of Amasa Abersush, philanthropist. End of section 24